Hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm Eric Panecki. I'm David Choi. And I'm John Labretti. And welcome to the Deals and Dollars podcast. The three of us are real estate executives in the New York City metro area. Every week, we bring on the best real estate investors and entrepreneurs we know to talk about how they made it in the business, how they source their deals, and most importantly, how they make their dollars. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. All right, let's get into it. Let's ride! <laughs> All right, Jack, welcome to the Real Leverage Podcast. How are you doing today, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's my honor. It's my honor. We had the opportunity to become closer friends over the past few months and you know what really what really sticks out to me about you is that you come from a long line of private equity you have a strong private equity background wall street finance experience and you've converted all of those skills into into an entrepreneurial path and over the past two years i mean you've done really well in the fund to fund space so i'd, I'd love to dig in on that and, and teach the audience what it's like to invest with a fund manager like you yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just uh, love love talking to all sorts of real estate and finance, and especially alternative assets, which I think are far superior to the traditional uh, financial advising and wealth management channels. So awesome, awesome! Uh, <laughs> Shove it right in your mouth. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's just jump right into it. Yeah, how did you get started in the real estate space in the fund to fund manager space? Sure. So in in the real estate space, it started with a trip to Las Vegas. Uh, it was uh, my twenty first birthday. I was finishing college, and uh, you know, I was. Uh, finishing a degree in information technology, but it was 2001 during the dot-com crash. So sort of changed the opportunities that might've been available. Saw the glitz and the glamour in, uh, you know, in Vegas and uh, I'm playing $5 hand blackjack and my hand is shaking because I'm nervous. <laughs> and I was like, what I'm doing, I, ne- I need to make more money. I need to, you know, find uh, financial security. So I bought a book on the, uh, on the airplane ride home one of those Hudson newsstands, like how to make a million dollars in real estate, read it cover to cover, got back and called my college landlord. And a month later, I owned a house, a two family house, almost no money down. And really just kind of lived that infomercial mid 2000s run of uh, finding houses, no money down, subject to doing short sales, had a wholesale business, had my real estate license, had an IT job for about one year and then I quit it. (laughs) <laughs> and it was really just full-time real estate till 2008. And after the financial crisis happened, things had kind of froze up there. And I grew up down in New Jersey, always wanted to live in New York City. And there was a private equity fund that was buying hundreds of millions of dollars of non-performing mortgages. And they needed real estate people like me that understood how the investor thought to uh, help them manage through their tens of thousands of uh, non-performing and foreclosures. So mm. learned that business, uh, partnered with the family office, uh, ended up partnering with a $3 billion private equity fund. And we bought over $3 billion of non-performing and performing loans with that group from 2014 to uh, 2020. And uh, it was an amazing ride. But as an entrepreneurial person, uh, there, there came a point where just that typical New York City private equity lifestyle was not, uh, you know, not really what I, what I wanted. And I was losing half my money to taxes. Hmm. So I'd been personally investing in these larger multifamily syndications just purely as a passive investor because in New York, when you're paying 50% tax, it's one of the only ways to, to get passive income that's actually tax deferred you know, outside of using retirement accounts. And it went really well. And when I got bought out of my prior firm, it was something I really wanted to do at a larger scale. And I ended up building a fund around where I was going to invest my personal money anyway, along with moving to Puerto Rico, which is a whole, that could be a whole nother podcast itself, but uh, <laughs> we talk a little bit about, uh, about Puerto Rico. 
Yeah. So, so you went down, you, you, you partnered with some really large institutional guys buying performing, non-performing notes. And then while you were making tons of money, you know, in the PE world, you started investing into LP positions with other multifamily syndicators and found that, you know, those deferred, those deferred cash flows that you were getting was really awesome. Right. And so what I'm understanding is that you not only didn't, I mean, cause I know you Jack, right. And your background, I'd love for you to talk about like, just what was that tipping point that said, all right, dude, I'm done. I'm not going back to corporate America. What led you up to that decision? And what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah, so it was a... Uh over the course of a year or two of just the, for the first time in a long time, the lack of freedom myself, you know, it was busy and, you know, we were supposed to have four weeks of vacation, but nobody was really taking it. And, uh, I always, I got into real estate to, to have passive income and freedom and flexibility. And I essentially created myself a wall street job with, with minimal flexibility and, and, you know, making it really difficult to travel as much as I wanted to and have that freedom. And I'm really an entrepreneurial spirit. Cause we, we were very structured into very specific Mm. you know, roles and, and really just doing essentially the same thing over and over again, just printing money. Right. Um, so it was a, it was a, you know, it was really over a period of a year where it got, you know, more and more and more frustrating. And then, uh, just was trying to plan my, uh, my exit. The other, the other key thing was we had a large incentive that was, uh, was coming. It was somewhat like the way a, a fund would have carried interest, but because of the structure, it was going to get taxed like a wall street bonus. Mm. So I had a, a seven-figure payday coming that was going to get taxed at 50% as well. <laughs> and that was really the tipping point is how do we structure something to make it so that uh, you know, I didn't lose half of this money, which I at one point thought would have been enough to maybe retire. But once you're losing half of it and you have a high cost of living in New York, it really, really wasn't going to work out that way. So that really started my quest into tax efficiency, mm. which uh, syndications are a, a big part of it through uh, cost segregation. And that, along with uh, various IRA strategies and ultimately Puerto Rico, which uh, has no short-term or long-term capital gains and certain situations, only 4% tax on uh, what they call export services. So that's why a lot of fund managers move down there. If you make money off the island and it qualifies through various types of structures, but a lot of it's fund administration, consulting, marketing, they only tax you at 4%. Oh. As long as you're a resident of Puerto Rico. Yeah, that, that's a perfect segue. You know, you now live in Puerto Rico. You've been faced with some huge capital gains, income tax. I mean, up to, up to 50% of what you were making. And you said, I'm tired of paying the government. What do I have to do to get around that so that you could, you know, use that money for things that you actually care about, right? So that's a perfect segue to the next question. I mean, what do you think your competitive advantage is above the average investor, the average fund manager? Sure. So I think I've built a pretty great track record of actually generating solid returns. But to me, you know, what sets me apart is the, you know, that I've lived the, the tax angle of it. And as an investor and someone myself who's had to spend a number of years structuring you know, I'm not a CPA myself by any means, but you know, it's really been a big part of my practice, if you will, is helping people understand the questions that they should ask their CPA or give them the ideas of how to structure things in the right way. Because many CPAs are really more about protecting and making sure you pay what you're supposed to so you don't get in trouble, not about being creative and, and setting up the proper structures so that you can run your life and your, and your business efficiently. It takes a combination of a good CPA, a good attorney, and a good wealth manager together to really structure things and really just getting to know your clients. You know, I had friends uh, that I was just out with last week that make seven figures a year living in New York, and you know, they're in that worst possible tax bracket paying over 50%, and we're talking about uh, what their wives do, and um, you know, one of the wives is kind of in real estate, but wasn't really pursuing it. You know, they've got young kids and they weren't aware 
that you know, if, you're, if you're married and one spouse is a real estate professional, you both qualify as a real estate professional. So you can be a surgeon making $3 million a year. And if your spouse is a real estate professional and you take $3 million available and you invest it in the proper deal and you get the depreciation benefits, you could feasibly pay no tax that year no. just by generating enough depreciation from, uh, from investments in properties that you know, ultimately should go up in value if you're buying the right properties. Right. Not only are they now benefiting from not paying taxes that year, which could save them $1.5 million in actual current cash value, but they're investing with strong sponsors that could get them above average market returns, current cash flows. It's just a win-win for, for people like that. That's pretty amazing. It's like an accountant is paid for tracking history, right? And that's, that really isn't a special skill. But when you get connected with the right people, tax strategists, tax attorneys, wealth managers, you really could put a dream team together for you to plan for that future and plan your tax strategy instead of just paying the penalty because of ignorance, right? So that's really cool that you did that for your, your seven-figure Wall Street friends. I ho- hopefully they, they come in and, and they take advantage of what, what you have to offer there, Jack. That's awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I usually ask what you're currently doing to source your deals, but given your unique situation, I mean, you've branded yourself as a capital place, you know, a professional for placing capital with strong sponsors. Can you just tell me like what you're doing right now to vet out your sponsors? Sure. So, you know, first and foremost, uh, I'm fortunate that a number of the sponsors I've been personally investing with for a number of years. So someone I've had money with since 2016, 2017, you know, back then I was maybe taking, you know, still, still vetting them, but maybe not. It was a different level of vetting when I'm putting 50,000 of personal money to test someone out. Now it's a combination of, you know, number one is being out on the street at conferences, getting to meet sponsors in person and meeting other investors that have successfully invested with them. I'm in two different, actually I'm in three mastermind groups. So it seems like every few weeks I'm on a plane to meet uh, a group of like-minded investors uh, in combination of operating sponsors and investors together. So, you know, these are to some extent private clubs and, uh, you know, the vetting is a lot easier when you know five other investors who have a history with them. And we look through their track record. We look through the current deals. We have a lot of just conversations on what their outlook is on the market, how they underwrite, what they think is happening to interest rates. Many of our sponsors, a majority of our sponsors have been around since before 2008. Mm. I think it's it's very important. Those, those lessons that were learned in 2007, 2008, you kind of had to live through it. If you didn't live through it, it's not, you know, it's, it's, you, you can understand it, but you don't, you don't really understand it unless you have the scars. So that's also something that's a, it's not a requirement, but uh, turns out a good chunk of the sponsors have, you know, been through that cycle. And I know we'll be well positioned to uh, take advantage of any future cycle. Although I'm not, uh, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm still very bullish on, on real estate and multifamily, given some of the things happening with inflation. Howard Marks has a book about market cycles that I quote often, and he keeps saying history may not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And I don't foresee a 2008 type of, of collapse in real estate. I think there's, there'll be plenty of other crises in different sectors over, over time, but I think real estate to that extent, is probably a once in a generation once in a 50 year type cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I, I really like that you said you let you work with sponsors that have been through an 07, 08, right? I've worked for some family offices that have been around for four generations, worked for some private equity fund managers that, that have been around for a very long time. And what you'll see is that those type of operators will take a very conservative underwriting approach on exit cap, refinance cap rates, interest rates, going like what type of leverage they're using versus a new operator 
And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these new operators, but some of them will lever to, t- to the T to get an extra point, couple extra points on the IRR, right? So they could hit their promo. And so working with someone who's been, has those scars, those battle wounds, you know that they're not going to take the same aggressive approach that some of these newer guys who haven't experienced hell and back are going to take, right? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So what are you doing right now, uh, Jack, to raise your capital? Who are you talking to? What are you doing to, to, to syndicate and raise money from, from your LPs? Sure. So after years of being in, in private equity in New York, I was turning away money from sort of friends, family, and even clients of ours, because we were selling non-performing loans. We were selling REOs. And uh, I don't know, I, I lost count of how many times people asked if they could invest in our fund. But, you know, this was a billion dollar plus fund and they're, they had like probably a $20 million minimum. It was, it was all pension funds and real institutions. So I've always wanted to have my own Reg D 506C fund available where I could take in my own network's money and invest alongside me. And I'm you know, a large investor in my own funds. So it's really a different approach than, than the Wall Street approach. So mm. it's not that I wasn't on social media, but I was not on social media to the level that we are now kind of promoting our deals. Uh, we do go to a lot of conferences and trade shows now that the world's opening back up. There's, there's no substitute for just getting in front of people and just talking about your deals, getting to know them, getting to know what their goals are. And uh, yeah, just uh, continuing to put out what we're doing and our, our track record and really have these one-on-one consultative conversations I like nothing more than, you know, working with a potential investor to make sure it's the right fit and understand what their full situation is and, and educate them where I can and just work together to figure out a strategy where we can. And uh, if it's uh, through our fund, great. Uh, I've also referred some investors to oil and gas deals where it's uh, in addition to our fund where it's a better fit to offset W-2 income. Mm. That's not something I do professionally at all other than I actually tested it myself just because I have friends and clients. And you know, it was kind of dumb luck, honestly, because I put I went to an oil and gas deal three months ago, and then uh, the war in Ukraine breaks out and oil skyrockets. So I, I can't wow. take credit for, having, for, for predicting or modeling that. It just sort of happened. But the, the key point is, you know, I'm so into this efficiency that I'll actually test deals out with my own money mm. before talking to other investors about them. Yeah, I, l- I like where you, that you put your money where your mouth's at. You're not coming around and saying, hey, invest in, in this new sponsor or this new deal, and I haven't tested out the waters yet. You're, you're pulling from your, your large network of masterminds, trade shows, and people that you personally know for a long time for those referrals. Yes, I've invested with X invest a sponsor, and I've done really well over the past five years. So I think what you're doing is amazing, right? A lot of mom and pops, a lot of business owners, doctors, lawyers, they're busy. They're working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. They got kids. They got what? They're not going around traveling uh, every other week to meet with potential sponsors. And even if they had the ability to do that, they're not going to come in with the same amount of capital as you are when you're pulling together and, you know, you're pulling together people's money and investing and getting the same favorable economics that you're going to be able to negotiate with a sponsor. So there's a real win-win strategy here, right? Not only are you advising them on potential tax strategies, helping them achieve depreciation, but you're placing their money in people that you really believe in. And with your background in private equity and Wall Street, you really know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I I even have some investors that knew some of the same groups we invested with. But like you said, they have a full-time job and they don't have the time or the energy to vet 
20 deals and to even collect 20 or 30 K1s. So some of the investors are would rather invest with us and get one K1, knowing that we're getting those better deal terms for coming in with larger dollar amounts on these deals and that we're, um, we're fully active. So we're vetting deals every single day. We're going to the conferences and the trade shows and, you know, it's a, it's a real value to these, uh, to these investors. And the, the one last point is also, and given the timing we have right now, dollar cost averaging is very important. Those that could be worried that our interest rates are going up and what's going to, what's going to happen versus certain markets. Uh, there's a case study about if you put in all your money the day before the 1929 crash, it would, it, over 10 years, you would still be down 30%. However, if you put in money over the course of six months before and six months after, and just evened it out over a period of months, you'd be up 30% after 10 years. Wow. So, you know, regardless of what's going on in the real estate market, you know, working with groups like us and being systematic about continually deploying capital, if rates do skyrocket and or things do correct more than more than we thought, we'll be continuing to buy at better pricing and, and get better deals. So, you know, the key is just to be be consistent and systematic with investing. Wow, I really love that. So, Jack, what is your current fund structure? What's your investment philosophy? What, what is your uh, LPGP structure? Sure. So our flagship fund, which is our first fund, which we, we've we just started fund two, it has almost an identical structure, is we pay either a 6% or an 8% preferred return. And uh, we do a 70-30 split. So the investors get 70. Once our investors have received all of their money back and their preferred return, then it, that's the only time we, uh, we get paid other than a small asset management fee, which barely moves the needle. And the philosophy is to create a diversified fund across multiple assets in multiple markets and multiple operators. So fund one had 34 different properties that we owned a percentage of. And a majority of those deals, we'd negotiated better terms. So you know, a typical investor who might've put $50,000 into one deal in Dallas, we were putting a half a million dollars in that deal so the better terms we got will, in some cases, make our management fee free, or even they, they'll actually get a better deal than going through us than going directly. In other cases, it may just about broken even, or worst case, there's a small, small premium. But for that, you get diversification across 34 different assets, as opposed to having to put all your eggs in, in one basket. And we've also recently launched a flexible allocation fund, which uh, is really great because typically to do a fund, you really need a minimum of a few million dollars to justify all the legal paperwork and compliance. But there's a new software platform that we're, we're using, which allows one fund, but you could actually segment the economics through each deal. So those investors that really do want to dive in and, and only be invested in one specific deal that they do the full underwriting on themselves, they can do that. Or if you just like a market better and you're in the fund already, but you really want to be heavy in Dallas or heavy in, in uh, Atlanta, you can you know, choose to in put, increase an allocation through a different fund and have just the economics of that asset only. Oh, that's really smart. Love to hear that. That sounds fantastic. So not only are they getting diversification, right, but they're getting your expertise. I mean, you literally moved to Puerto Rico, man, to, 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 to take advantage of some of the tax, some of the tax rules out there. And, and they're getting the tax expert. They're getting a private equity Wall Street expert a real estate expert, and they're getting diversification. Some or most of the time, they're getting better economics on dollars with you than dollars directly with that sponsor because of how much money you're putting into deals and getting, you know, just getting favorable uh, GPLP economics with that sponsor. I really love what you're doing, man. I think you're going to have a ton of success. And in fact, I'm interested in putting some money behind what you got going on. So this is really exciting. I'd love to dive into just more personal stuff. I found that very successful people typically have a pretty a disciplined lifestyle. 
Jack, I'd love to know what your your morning routine looks like. It's, that's interesting. It's funny when you, you if you look at this body, that's, that's, it doesn't scream discipline. But uh, <laughs> I do I do joke that you can't get a body like this by accident. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it, it's it's changed over the years. But in Puerto Rico, it's actually been a lot healthier. Um, I'm not necessarily a, a meditator, but I do like to take a good morning walk if I if I can, you know, for for fitness. So I'll put on a podcast and usually take about a 45 minute walk down the beach, and we have this lagoon there. So get some good exercise, get some steps in in the morning, and uh, you know, really just get some time to if I if I just need to zone and listen to something unrelated, great. If I want to listen to an audible book or uh, a business related podcast, I can, and it just, it does let me clear my head. I do try to get to the gym a couple days a week as well, sometimes on my own. And then I do do personal training, which is more of a high impact intensity training, get a good half hour, 45 minute workout, which is cardio and, and weightlifting. What's great about Puerto Rico in the winter is there's no daylight savings time. So it's actually an hour ahead of East coast time. So don't even have to get up ungodly early. It's not (laughs) one of those, uh, David Goggins, 4 a.m. or, or who's, who's the, there's the guy that always takes a picture of his watch, I think at 3.55 a.m. every morning. That's certainly, uh, certainly not me, but I can get up at 7.30 and still be an hour ahead of East Coast and, and, and get some things out of the way before it gets hectic. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. For the audience, what's the number one piece of advice that you have for investors, whether they're there, they're sponsoring themselves, they want to be the fix it, they want to buy the properties, they want to raise the capital, or for passive investors that are, are looking for good depreciation, diversification, um, what's the number one piece of advice you'd give to them to get real leverage in investing? First, you need to know your own personality. You got you got to figure out which camp you're really in. I've talked to a lot of people that probably should be passive investors, but think they need to go in and try to do everything themselves, and they, you know, sometimes create themselves a job they hate. It's it's uh, it's really hard to scale doing small things. So I've talked to a number of you know people worth millions of dollars that are like, I'm going to buy one place and turn it into an, Air, in, into an Airbnb, and you know, meanwhile they have a multi-million dollar business and it's just going to distract them. So yeah, I think that the first thing that comes to mind is know what your goal is. Now, if you're somebody that has a good operational background and you're still scaling and you, you know, would have a really good, you know, just you're, you'd be a really good operator, then absolutely pursue that. But uh, only do that if that's really a skill set and you're, you're going to have the wherewithal to, to scale and build systems and really build out a, a true operation. Otherwise, you really should focus more on the passive side of it. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. There's a lot of people out there that, like you said, they make a ton of money. They're busy as heck running their own business and they want to start another one, right? But the key is focus. There's a way to take advantage of the off-market deals run by the best sponsors, institutional great investors, and get really favorable returns passively. And even if you do aspire to do those deals yourself one day, the best way to learn is to deal with someone 10 times better than you. So I couldn't agree with you more, Jack. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And before I let you go, where can the people find you? So uh, our website is jcaminvestments.com. And uh, we're also on almost all the major social medias. Uh, There's a Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and Facebook personally, just under my name, Jack Krupe. And LinkedIn, obviously a personal profile, and jcaminvestments.com. We do not have a TikTok yet. I've been hearing I I should. I'm working on a dance move or some type of special uh, entry entry video for that. everybody that's our show if you like what you heard do us a huge favor and give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts if you're feeling generous maybe even tell a friend word of mouth helps a lot 
If you're interested in being on the show or getting exclusive invites to our Deals and Dollars networking events, you can fill out a form at dealsanddollars.com. That's deals, the letter N, dollars.com. Your hosts were David Choi, Eric Panecki, and John Labretti. The podcast was produced by me, Joshua Perna, with additional editing by Jonas DeHuse and Erwin Castillo. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.